0: Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive, the podcast where I put my article resources in audio format so you can listen on the run. In today's podcast, I want to talk about your reputation. I want to talk about my reputation as well. We both have the same struggle. There's a temptation that is right before us, and the temptation, you could think of it like an intersection We're at the intersection, and we can choose to go right or left. In door number one, or going in one direction, we have the temptation to build up our own reputation. If we go the other way, the other door we could choose, we can build the reputation of Christ. Those are the two options. Build a monument to myself, or enhance the reputation of Christ. Do you know that Christians are the only ones who can do this? The world only has one option, that is to build their own reputation to turn all things into themselves. And they have a doctrine for that called self-esteem. The Bible is counterintuitive to that kind of lifestyle, as, as the Bible teaches other esteem. Esteem God, most of all, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is to love others more than yourself. And so we can, or as Paul said, uh, I just gave you Matthew uh, 22, verses 36 through 40, the two great commandments, but Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 that we should count others more significant than ourselves but we do have this temptation, and the temptation is, is, is to be overly impressed with ourselves and to be overly engaged with ourselves as we turn our love onto ourselves and we can build a reputation or, as I say here, a, a monument as we enhance our reputation. But God is calling us to enhance the reputation of Christ as we, we work out what He is working into us. Now there is a critical difference between these two options for the Christian. We can be holy theoretically, meaning that we have the knowledge, we know what we should do, or we can be holy practically. We not just have the knowledge, but functionally we are working working it out in our lives. And so we want to make sure that there is not this huge gap between what we say we know Or what we do know in actuality and what we are living. Now isn't that the tension with all of us? I do not struggle with the gap that is between me and Christ or you and Christ as long as you and I are always pressing toward Christ. The reality is, is that none of us will be perfect in this life. We will never be 100% pure, holy, Christ-like. That is a physical, spiritual impossibility because we are falling, be, fallen beings. And so we don't want to beat ourselves up because we're unable to live perfect lives without ever sinning. But that's not the real issue here. The real issue here is which way are you heading? Are you always trying to close the gap between who you are right now and who Jesus is? Or are you widening the gap? We're not static beings. We're going in one direction or another. You remember the time when God regenerated you prior to that. You were walking in darkness. You were alienated from God. You were futile in your thinking. You were dead As Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, you were dead walking in that darkness. Your father was the devil and then God regenerated you. That was a giant step for you moving toward the cross or moving toward Christ. You began at that moment of regeneration, of closing the gap between who you are in actuality and who who Jesus is. And you have been moving in that direction ever since, or at least I I hope so. And we call that progressive sanctification. So salvation... Uh, puts you across the line. You cross. You cross the line. You get in the door. You get in the family. You are adopted. You have definitive sanctification. You are. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. Now it's just a process of progressive sanctification to where you can continue to mature in Him. And so I know that there is a gap between who you are and who Christ is as there is with me but again that's not the issue which way are you heading and that's what I want to talk about in this podcast because that's what the temptation is uh, the temptation is is that we can forget about or uh, don't try don't put any energy forth in trying to enhance the reputation of Christ and and you know that we can even we can even do this within christian circles and that's why I talk about theoretical holiness and practical holiness theoretical holiness is gaining knowledge on top of knowledge. I call it stacking knowledge on top of knowledge on top of knowledge to where we're continuing to grow, uh, to where we can just be the most articulate Christians in in the world but live different lives entirely on the inside. That is the danger. That is the warning of this podcast. Now, these, uh, uh, these notes that I have here are actually sermon notes, these are my application notes from a sermon that I heard at North Hills Church on the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. That is the letter, as you know, to uh, the church at Sardis. And as I was listening to this sermon, it was it was so good, and I wanted to just do more writing. And it takes me a, a while to reflect upon a sermon. There used to be a time in my former uh, days uh, as a more legalistic type Christian, I I call it three to thrive. And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but where I went to a church meeting three times a week, twice on Sunday and once on on Wednesday, and that's just what I did. And I don't do that any longer. Basically, I go to a church meeting one time on Sunday. That's been my pattern for a a long time. And as I think about it, uh, it it's actually a good idea for me because it takes me a while uh, to process a sermon. And I try to put myself back when I was in the three to thrive mode. I do know that one of the struggles I had back then is that I couldn't process all the information. Listening to three sermons a week for processing purposes, I mean, you can listen to 50 a week, I suppose, if you want to. But all, all it's going to do is land in your short-term memory, You're not your long-term memory, and it won't stick and you won't remember it. But if, if you're going to really process a sermon, reflect upon it like the cow sitting up under a shade tree chewing her cud, that's really how you process a sermon. You meditate on it. You reflect upon it. You pray about it. You ask God to work it in, work it into you, and you're working it out. And it takes me a while to do that. And so I heard the sermon at North Hills Church on Revelation 3, 1 through 6, and part of me working it out is journaling something I've been doing since 1994. And so I, I write And it helps me through the process of thinking. That's not for everybody. Someone wrote in our forums the last few weeks or so, and they ask about this idea of journaling. And I try to make the distinction between a way of doing something and the way of doing something. Journaling is not the way. It's a way, and it doesn't work for everybody. It's my way, not your way necessarily, But this is how i work it out and so as i was listening to this sermon i began to write out these notes and make personal application to my life because i really want to think about uh, what's being said here now if you want extra credit what i would encourage you to do is you go to this um, to my article here on our website and i have a link to north hills church where you can click on the sermon and it will take you right to the video right to the audio And you can listen or watch, and I would really encourage you uh, to do that because it is that good. My little podcast and my little notes will kind of scratch the surface, but what you really want to do is you want to uh, jump jump in the deep end of the pool. And so if you want to listen to this sermon, I... I appeal to you to take the time to do that. It'll be well worth it. I titled this podcast and the article, Whose Reputation is Most Important to You. That's how you will find it on our website. And then you can click the link to go to North Hills Church if you wish. Please do that. But let me share, I was, let me share uh, my, my skimpy little sermon notes with you. And I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. Theoretical holiness means that you can teach a class on what it means to be holy. Now isn't that ironic? Even though it's probably more common than we either realize or want to admit. But you can uh, theoretical holiness is you can teach a class on holiness, but the inward testimony of your soul affirms a, a more authentic kind of life, who you really, really are. A kind of life that is not in line with God's Word or the very teaching that you're doing at the lectern in the Sunday school class. It's years of spiritual training and equipping. I'm talking about good spiritual training and, and awesome Bible equipping, laid over years of deep sinful compulsions. Now, it would be easy, I think, to think that uh, this individual here doesn't care, and, and they're, they're the kind of person who's, who's intentionally moving farther and farther and farther away from Christ. Uh, that They don't care about this dichotomy in their lives between theoretical and practical holiness. Now, I know that's true for people, and I get that, but that's not who I'm talking about in actuality in, in this podcast. There are many people who have written to us. They've asked on our forums. It's like, I want to follow God. I want, just this week, the last two days, someone wrote in, it's, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep sinning over and over and over again? They want to change. And so I don't want to necessarily talk to the person who really doesn't care about this podcast anyway. The people who need to hear it are the ones who uh, I'm talking to, and they are the ones that uh, they are sensitive ab- about these inward evil compulsions, these deep sinful compulsions that have caught them, ensnared them, as Paul talked about in Galatians 6.1, a person who is caught in a transgression, but in this case, in this podcast, they care. They want to change, but they're caught. It, It owns them. And so the only thing they've known to do or the only thing that they've been doing is just learning growing in knowledge even to the point that where they can teach a Sunday school class and so they are theoretically holy but not practically holy theoretical holiness does not remove these Profound matters of the soul, these evil matters of the soul, though you can present yourself as outwardly holy to others. Now, the disconnect in this person's thinking should be apparent because holiness and wholeness go together. You don't separate those two words because if you are, it's like bread bread is bread, it's bread on the outside and it's bread on the inside. Holiness and wholeness go together. You're holy on the outside. You're holy on the inside. To be genuinely spiritual is to experience internal and external transformation. And I feel like I, I want to put that caveat in here again that I don't want... Some people will overhear what I'm saying and they will beat themselves up because they're not perfect yet. And that's not the issue in view here. Which way are you leaning? If you're pressing toward the mark, if you're pressing toward the prize of Christ, keep on pressing. But if you're stuck and you want to go, but you aren't going, then you need to do a a little more because you're not moving. You're afraid to move. You don't want people to know the, the disconnect and the dichotomy. And, and so to be genuinely spiritual is to experience internal and external transformation, not just behavioral holiness or what I'm saying in this podcast is theoretical holiness. This dualistic life, it can become excruciating for the Christian who is in bondage, caught, to use Paul's language in Galatians 6.1. And they want to change, but they, they realize that decades of sound training has not changed these sinful internal compulsions i think it's one of the misconceptions about the bible sometimes we we teach or think about the bible as though it's a magic book We'll say that God's Word will not return void, and we'll take that and pump it up to a size to where it just doesn't mean what we make it mean any longer. All I have to do is just preach God's Word, and and people are going to change. Now, there's an element of truth to passive obedience. God can change you in a passive way, but the Bible also teaches that we are to be doers of the Word. There's such a thing as active obedience as well. And if your only mode of operation is just, I'm just going to teach God's Word and people will change, you'll have a lot of people like this who just don't know how. They'll be like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, sitting in a chariot, reading God's Word, reading Isaiah. The book opened in his lap, and as he told Philip, I, I don't really understand what I am, I am reading There are these people, and they're all around us, and unfortunately to their friends, they'll know this individual as externally holy, and they would never describe him as uh, theoretically holy. They'll make a misjudgment, and the misjudgment of this believer has happened due to decades of unintentionally ignoring the internal problems while keeping pace with their Christianity 101, 201, 301, 401, education. And so again, if you have ears to hear, which is the last verse to the Church of Sardis, verse number six, if you have ears to hear what I'm saying here in this podcast and you do want to change, then my strongest appeal to you is to do that. I want you to continue to grow in your 101, 201, 301, 401 education. But the problem is, is that decades later, the accumulative effect of personal and familial and relational dysfunction will bring this type of hypocrite to the place to where they have to decide if they're going to try to live on their reputation of holiness or if they will admit that their righteousness is not much deeper than that of the Pharisees. And it is this personal, familial, and relational dysfunction is where you're going to see things, where it starts falling apart. There should be a consistency, not just between who we are inwardly and who we are outwardly, but also the effect that we have on our relationships. Jesus had a positive, righteous, holy effect on His relationships. Obviously, there were people who rejected Him, but that's because they did not want His holiness. They didn't want to be like Him. But for those who wanted to be like Him, He was influencing them in very positive ways. And for the person, though, who's living a a dichotomy life, to where they're only theoretically holy, but not outwardly holy, that lack of outward holiness will have an adverse effect. On their familial relationships and their other relationships as well and that's where you will see the fallout and even though this person has experienced god's regeneration they have not worked out a more in-depth level of righteousness that removes these internal heart idolatries or compulsions whatever they may be now one of the dangers with this kind of person is that he can compartmentalize his life into external holiness and inward dysfunction. He can put his stamp of approval on it. Uh, he will not come out. He will not share this reality with other people. And this temptation to ignore the inner truth of the soul while riding the wave of his outward reputation will have repercussions. And one of the primary repercussions is on the person's conscience. And what I mean is that there will be a hardening effect of the person's conscience. Eventually, the noise, the internal noise, will lessen. It will cease to scream at him for change. And if he continues to ignore his internal moral thermostat, there will come a time when he will be desensitized so much, though, that his conscience will not alert him of the soul cancer. And that's that's the place where you don't want to be. That's the place when you do become that other person, where you don't care any longer. You choose to live the duality of your life. You don't care about closing the gap any longer, and so you're just going to ride the wave of your reputation and live this way until Jesus returns. If you don't want to be that way, but yet you are described that way in this podcast, this article on the website, or the sermon— North Hills Church. If you have a theoretical reputation for holiness, but not so much a practical reputation for holiness as discerned through ongoing personal, familial, and relational dysfunction in your life and those who are around you and you want to change, I want to share with you five tips to transform. I want to work through all six verses in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I want to comment on each one of those and give you five points, five things for your consideration that will help you to change. The first one is to recognize. Recognize. All of these will be one word. These five tips will be five words, to recognize. Here's Revelation 3, 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, that would be Jesus, he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Do you hear the duality in that? Do you see the theoretical holiness and the practical holiness, that they are disconnected from each other? You have the reputation for being alive, that's the outward holiness, but you are dead, that's the inward holiness. And so the first call to action is to recognize recognize who Jesus is rather than listening to the voices that make you feel good about yourself. Meaning if, 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 if you're hearing this, if you're hearing, really hearing this, then recognize this is Jesus talking in Revelation 3.1. Uh, Jesus knows. He knows that there's a duality there. Recognize that it's Jesus. Rather than listening to the voices that make you feel good about yourself, In verse 1, John talks about the one with seven spirits of God and seven stars, and then in verse 3, he talks about what Jesus knows. Let me read verse 3 here, quote, Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Meaning... Jesus knows more than you know, and Jesus can do more than you. You can't do these things that he's saying here. You can't have that kind of insight. Jesus knows you have a reputation for being alive, but but you are dead, and you better repent. You better wake up, or he says, I'm going to come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. You need to listen. You need to listen to him while submitting to him rather than listening to others who pump you up you need to pay attention to him who can transform you the the one who has seven spirits of god and seven stars so point number one if you want to transform you've got to recognize and some people listening to this podcast will recognize then you're the one that i am talking to number two you need to be honest now that you are awake and you see that you have a reputation for being alive, theoretical holiness, but you are dead. Uh, or reputation for being alive, is, uh, yes, theoretical holiness, but practically you're dead. And if you recognize this, and you need to be honest. Be honest about who you are rather than building an image in your mind about who you want to be. One of the complexities here is this mixing together of pride and insecurity. Pride is this desire to build this monument to yourself and is motivated and encouraged by insecurity, a fear of being found out. And so when pride and insecurity, you mix them together, you will resist humility and it will keep you from knowing the pure truth about yourself meaning you will not hear from the all-knowing one. In verse number two, let me read verse one again. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, he says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Verse number two, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for i have not found your works complete in the sight of god that was revelation verse 2 3 uh, chapter 3 verse 2 john is saying in verse 1 that such person is dead which is how jesus thinks about them pride is a kind of death that resists the truth and then in verse 2 he says that you are asleep you're not just dead but you are asleep There is contamination of the soul that should be a call to wake up and listen to Jesus. Will you be honest about yourself? If this is you, Jesus says you're dead in verse 1 and asleep in verse 2. What he's doing here is he's stacking terms to speak to the dire situation of such a person hyperbolically. Jesus was like that. He often used hyperbolic Uh, language to intensify uh, the dire situation that an individual was in. He stacked terms to draw attention to it. So five tips to transform. One, recognize. Two, you have to be honest. And then number three is to respond. If you're paying attention to this powerful (laughs) warning thus far, It's time to take steps toward repentance. And so in verses 2 and 3, there are five imperatives to change. Let me give you those five imperatives. I'll I'll read verses 2 and 3. "'Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of God.'" Verse 3, "'Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent.'" If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Here are the five imperatives in those two verses. You heard them. The first one was wake up. Regain your watchfulness. This is how you respond. Five tips to transform. Recognize, be honest, and now we're responding, repenting. The imperatives, wake up, regain your watchfulness like a driver falling asleep while going down the road. Come to your senses, your life is in peril. Number two, strengthen, follow through because what remains is about to die. The car is on blocks and you need to do what you must to make it alive again. Strengthen, wake up and strengthen. Third imperative, remember, look back. And recall what you heard and received. You have heard God's word in the past. I mean, you do have theoretical holiness. Think about the Lord's good work in your life. You have a history with the Lord. And you want to bring this back to your mind. Wake up strengthen, remember, number four, imperative, keep it. This is a present, active, ongoing idea. You keep it and you keep on keeping it. You cannot live the Christian life passively. As I was saying earlier, there is passive obedience and there is active obedience. You have a responsibility toward God and others to pay attention while actively and practically responding to God. Keep it. And so the five imperatives, wake up, strengthen, remember, keep it, and then the fifth one is repent in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation 3. Repent. When you do wake up, follow through, look back, keep on keeping on, you will be in a retentive state, always remembering always reminding yourself. And this will motivate you to press on in practical holiness. And if you implement these five imperatives, you will begin a process of transformation. Five tips to transform, recognize, be honest, respond. And then number four is community. Verse number four, yet you have still a few names in Sardis. There are other people, people who have not spoiled their garments And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Look to the few who have the compassion, the courage, and the competence to help you. Don't live your holy life the way you lived your unholy life. You can't live your holy life isolated from the community of faith, living secretly on the inside. You are hiding in plain sight, but now you must find those who are not like you. They are genuinely and practically holy. Find them and do life with them because they will help you. And then the fifth tip to transform is reputation. I want you to see this. In Revelation 3, 5, it says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name. There's two uses of the word name here. I will confess his name before my Father and keep his angels. Keep your eye on the excellent and biblical vision. In verse 1, John uses the word reputation he says, you have a reputation, which is the same word as name in verse 5. In verse 1, verse 5, he uses the same Greek word. One in English is reputation, and then in verse 5 it's name. The difference is that his first usage of that Greek word is about who the individual is according to his hypocritical life his reputation. The second usage is about him confessing, God confessing your name, Jesus confessing your name to the Father and to his angels. You have two options that bring you back to the title of this podcast, Whose Reputation is Most Important to You. If you want to read these notes or listen to the sermon, you can find all that information in this article, Whose Reputation is Most Important to You. Thanks so much for listening.